0: All right, West Side Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you're grabbing that pew Bible, it's page 1103 in that. If you don't own one, take that with you this morning. When you get to Hebrews chapter 2, look up at me and say, Jesus. All right. Follow along and have your eyes on Scripture. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it.
1: Well, we're glad that you're here, and if it's your first Sunday here, you are in for a treat today. Um, we're sort of wrapping up this series on spiritual gifts, and I would draw your attention to the insert that you have in your bulletin. Um, this basically is the summary of six weeks worth of work that we've walked through. And so we've had a lot of people request, hey, is there something that we can have and go and locate all of this? This has the definition of spiritual gifts that we've walked through, scripture references for you to study. It's in a bookmark sort of format, so you can keep that there in your Bible. It has sort of the three categories and boxes that we've walked through and the theme verse for our one and many series. And so please keep this with you. Study this, look at these Bible references, and basically we are in week six of sort of a vision series as to who we are as a church and what God is doing in our midst. And so um, just to catch you up, we've we've learned that, that God doesn't just save us from something, but He saves us for something, and that He saves us for His mission and His purpose, But what's great about it is he doesn't just save us and then leave us, but in the words of Jesus, God doesn't leave us as orphans, but rather he sends the Holy Spirit to live and dwell inside of us and equip us for this mission. And so we've learned that he saves us from something and for something, but he gives us something, and that's spiritual gifts. And we've said that that spiritual gifts are the supernatural abilities given by God to the people of God, to accomplish the work of God for the glory of God. That's, that's what a spiritual gift is. And so we've walked, oh man, just these past couple of weeks, we have taken every spiritual gift, every word, uh, because we believe the Bible here. Oop, you're the 9 a.m., okay, right? We believe the Bible here, right? Amen. And so if, if God has listed a gift by its name, we have taken time to look at that gift and, and last week we learned this sort of as a review, that, that the goal of spiritual gifts is to serve one another for God's glory and our good. That's, that's the purpose, that you've been given a supernatural ability. If you're a Christian, if you are someone who has repented of your sin, turn from it and turn to Jesus, that God has given you a gift. And the purpose is, is to serve the greater good and the body for God's glory and for our common good. And one of the things that we've done is sometimes um, these, these gifts can get confusing a little bit. There's about 19 to 20 of them mentioned within the scriptures. And so we've literally sort of put them um, in, in boxes for you, right? Literally put them in boxes. And so we said that there's gifts that, that build up, gifts that lift up, and gifts that, that power up. And so we said that, that the gifts that build up the church or are, are foundational gifts, sort of in a way that they're ministry gifts that, that start a local body. And then gifts that lift up the church are, are motivational gifts. These are the gifts that sustain the body. If, if this starts it, this sustains it. And then today we are in the gifts that, that power up the body, the miraculous gifts, if you will. So the cool thing about Westside is is we've got a lot of people who maybe didn't grow up in church, did grow up in church, many walks and streams of faith. But at the end of the day, what we love to say here is through song and through the marquee on the pulpit is, is that it's all about Jesus, right? And so as we are studying this and looking at this, everybody is getting challenged because we're looking at what the Bible says about these gifts, but keeping Jesus at the center, and today, as we get into the gifts that power up the church, I think this will be helpful. The text that was read to you is probably one that you weren't even familiar with in line with the spiritual gifts. You're like, we're reading out of Hebrews about spiritual gifts? That's crazy. But it talks about being anchored or not drifting away. And what's cool is oftentimes we, we remind ourselves here that, that we're not the first church and we're not the first Christians, right? Right that we have inherited such a great salvation through, through many, many years. The ancient and early church used many symbols to define itself. So the Jesus fish that you see, um, the cross being obviously the focal point of all of that. But one symbol that sort of goes under the radar that we see often is a ship or a bark in ancient sort of Greek understanding. And it looks like this. This picture is one from about 300 A.D. from some ancient catacombs. And one historian put it this way. The ship, or the bark, was an ancient Christian symbol. It is the church tossed on the sea of disbelief, worldliness, and persecution, but finally reaching safe harbor with its cargo of human souls. Part of the imagery comes from the ark saving Noah's family during the flood, Jesus protecting Peter's boat, and the apostles on the stormy Sea of Galilee. It was also a great symbol during times when Christians needed to disguise the cross since the ship's mass forms a cross in many of its depictions. Now, there's a reason why I want to focus on, on that symbol. That If the church is sort of like a ship getting tossed about on the seas of disbelief, there are many waves that crash over into the ship. And when it comes to the miraculous, I believe the great misunderstanding of that is one of those things that sort of causes the church, if you will, as a ship to drift. And there's two great errors, really, when it comes to the supernatural and the miraculous. The first thing is this. That everything is a supernatural event. Everything. So you go to get in your car on Sunday and there's a nail and a tire and Satan's after me today, brother. (laughs) Right? Or we had this planned and it's raining but today we're praying against the enemy and all of the... No, it's raining. It's just raining, okay? Okay? And then you just drove over a nail. That's just what that was, right? Or it's you know, man, the enemy's really coming after me in my life. I've got all this, and you know, a lot of that was you just made a dumb mistake and you shouldn't have done that, right? So sometimes it's this idea that oh, every and you just get worn out. I mean, it's all the time everything's a supernatural event. But the other great error is this: nothing is a supernatural event. That's a problem. Everything, oh my goodness, it's all of this and it's all supernatural or nothing is supernatural and everything's logical and everything can be explained. Uh, The great author C.S. Lewis said that if you remove the miraculous from Christianity, then you remove Christianity. That one of the tensions that we have to understand is, is that the Christian life in and of itself, apart from spiritual gifts or anything, is supernatural. That you live the Christian life by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing mundane about you being a follower of Jesus Christ. That the very good news, I love what our text says, first preached by the Lord himself is supernatural. And so before we ease into this, I want to give just a little bit of practical advice when it comes to the miraculous and the supernatural. The first thing is this, seeking the miraculous should never diminish the sufficiency of the gospel. Do you understand that? Even in our text, it says the message and salvation that we've received was preached by the Lord, by angels, and all the others, and then gave accredited to by signs, miracles, and wonders. Not the other way around. It was not signs, miracles, and wonders, and then the gospel tacked on the end. Did you know that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is enough? That is enough. We don't ever move. It's not like, oh, you're not saved. Well, then here's the gospel. You know, repent. God's good. And then we move on to deep things. We don't believe that here. We believe the same gospel that saves you is the same gospel that sustains you. But there's a tension that we're supposed to seek this, that we're supposed to look for these things that Paul says, but it never, ever, ever should diminish that the gospel is sufficient and enough for us. The second thing is this. Miracle signs and wonders Never supersede Scripture. They always support Scripture. You understand what I'm saying by that? It's, um, now we're going to get into some stuff today where we get into the Lord told me thing, right? So, hey, you know, God told me this. Okay, well, that does not supersede Scripture, okay? Do you have your Bible in your hand? You got your Bible? You even got a fake Bible on your phone? I'll let that slide. That's okay, right? You got to hold it up. Hold it up above your head. Hold your Bible up above your head. This is how we view the Word of God here, Okay? You're in the sermon now, you can put it back down. Good job. The Bible is the supreme court in Christianity. It is the highest authority for us. So it's not when it comes to um, a prophetic word or tongues and interpretation that we have the reading of the text and then go, oh boy, I sure hope something breaks out in the service today. No, 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 no. Nothing supersedes the reading of the text. That's why we say, Thus saith the Lord. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. Nothing ever supersedes Scripture. And then the last thing that we have to keep at the forefront is this: salvation is the greatest gift and miracle. Salvation is. For some listen, C.S. Lewis said, Christianity is not bad people becoming good. Christianity is not just I had this addiction and now I don't have this addiction anymore. Praise God for that. That's awesome. Christianity is not, you know, I used to do this and that and now I don't do this and that. Christianity is people who were dead in their trespasses and sins and hostile towards God are now made alive again in Christ. That's the greatest gift and miracle that we never move beyond that. So if the church as an ancient Christian symbol, is sort of a boat in a journey on the sea of all types of things, then I want us to understand this, and this is the thesis today for spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts are empowered by the Spirit of God, and they are anchored in the Word of God. What keeps this ship anchored amongst all of this miraculous and this supernatural and all of these things is the very anchor of the word of God. But we still have a problem in attention. It's not just your belief in the word of God, but rather how you read the word of God. So so listen, I mean, big questions require big work. So I'm not just diving into miracles and stuff like this, assuming things, right? If you don't know the definition of assume, you can ask Pastor Tyler out in the lobby and we'll tell you what that is, all right? Okay, I'm just saying, all right? If you're going to ask big questions, we're not going to be ignorant of these things. So here's what you learn when, if you become in like sort of Bible school or seminary, it's two words, prescriptive and descriptive. That's how you read the scriptures. Now, the first section is this What is pre- a descriptive? A descriptive passage of scripture describes something that happened David and Goliath. That is a descriptive passage, okay? Now, the second way to read things is prescriptive, to prescribe. A prescriptive passage is prescribing or telling you something to do or that should happen. So take the story of David and Goliath. That is not a prescriptive passage. We should not get stones and sink them into the foreheads of people who blaspheme God. I think it's a great plan, right? I think it would quiet some things down a little bit. But that's not prescribing you need to do X, Y, and Z and do these things. But when it comes to repentance, when it comes to forgiveness, that's not descriptive. God's not just saying this is what forgiveness looks like. God is prescribing to you ways to forgive. Another example where the tension comes in on this would be the Lord's table. So we see this prescribed to us by Jesus, right? Do this in remembrance of me. But how often are we supposed to do it? Well, then we go into the descriptive passages in the book of Acts, and we see this rhythm. And they gathered on the Lord's day. They prayed, they proclaimed the good news, and they broke bread together. So when it comes to a descriptive passage and that also has some prescription in it, we go, okay, what are we gonna use as the fundamentals to guide us through this? This is where church tradition, church history, and old dead guys who have gone before us are very important for us to guide us in these things. I'm telling you all that to say this. Many miracle signs and wonders that we see in the New Testament live in both the descriptive ...and prescriptive world. That's why it's difficult sometimes to understand. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, is both a descriptive and prescriptive passage. And so there's tension when it comes to these things today. So when we grab our Bibles and we see these miraculous supernatural things... ...we have to understand, yes, we believe the gifts are still in continuation today... But it may not look exactly like it did in the black and white of the pages of Scripture, okay? So big questions require big work. And that the spiritual gifts are empowered by the Spirit of God. But they are anchored and go down into the Word of God. So now we dive into it. The gifts that power up the church. And here's the list for you, and you have it there on your handout. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, discernment, prophecy, and then tongues and interpretation. One of the things that we've looked at is is that every gift that God gives is perfect. Amen? Perfect, because God's perfect. But the tension when it comes to the spiritual gifts is that God is giving perfect gifts to imperfect people. The problem's not with God. The problem's not with the gift. The brokenness is often found within ourselves. So we've looked at what we're calling the spirit aspect of these gifts, the spirit side of it that God has given and is perfect and good and the ability. But then we're also looking at the flesh side. And the flesh side is is the broken part of us. The Bible uses the word flesh as the part of our hearts and lives that is not yet fully submitted to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. So there's a tension there. So we dive into the gifts that power up the church. The first gift that we see, wisdom, right? Wisdom. Here's what's cool about this. You, if you have this gift, you have the ability to apply biblical knowledge in practical situations. So think of Solomon, right, in the Old Testament. We see Solomon functioning in the Old Testament aspect of wisdom. We see James, the half-brother of Jesus, functioning in this in the New Testament. This is not just wise like the world. This is being able to take biblical principles and apply them in practical situations. You analyze situations well, and most of the time you don't give an immediate response. If somebody comes to you and asks you an important question about something, hey, should I do this with my life? Your response oftentimes is, I need to pray about that. If you find yourself saying that before you give a response, you probably more than likely have the gift of wisdom because you understand the impact of what you're saying. Many people come to you for advice. And here's what you love when it comes to preaching and sermons. You love the application part. So you're not so much, what does this word mean in the Greek and all of that? We'll get to that in in, in the gift of knowledge. But you like the application. How can I take A and apply this to B? The gift of wisdom is a gift to the church. I surround myself with people with the gift of wisdom. Right? Ask my wife. I don't have this gift. Okay, I'm just saying, all right? So I try to have lunch with people who think in graphs and five moves down and all types of stuff. I keep these people surrounded, right? Because I want to see what's coming when things I can't see. But here's, here's the weakness sometimes, not with the gift, but with you. You will sometimes force a biblical principle to a wrong situation. And here's why. You value the Word of God so much that sometimes you're just eager to plug in an application that maybe not it's right, the application is right, but the situation necessarily isn't right. And here's going to be your weakness is just simply saying, I don't know. I don't know. Did you know some of the most profound answers that you can give to someone is saying, I don't know? It shows a level of vulnerability and Transparency. I heard a preacher say one time, our strengths impress people, but our weaknesses connect each other. So yes, you do have this gift, and yes, you have given great advice and wisdom and application in the future, but never be afraid to simply say, I don't know, let's find out together. The supernatural ability of wisdom, an incredible gift. The second one is this, knowledge. Now, knowledge is going to be a little bit different from wisdom, and here's why. You have the ability to learn, research, and retain a large amount of information. So, right, like, your personality is you give thorough answers, and if somebody says, hey, I was wondering about this with baptism, you're like, well, um, I ran across a dissertation from Oxford, and I found it invigorating one Sunday afternoon while I was drinking coffee, and I was in the middle of my systematic theology, but this just so drove me to the point that I had to, right, this is you, you live for footnotes right? Is anybody else nerding out like me, right? I buy a book just for the footnotes. Parker raising his hand, baby, right? I live for footnotes, man. I will buy a book just just because of the footnotes. You love this stuff. You are a gift to the church when it comes to apologetics and biblical thoroughness. So you hate the answer, well, I don't know. We've just always done it. Oh, right. Show me, show me evidence, show me credible people who agree with this. You look at the broad spectrum of all of those things. So knowledge is not just liking that, it's being able to retain it, process it, digest it, and do all of those things. The Apostle Paul highly had the gift of knowledge. Most scholars believe the Apostle Paul probably spoke anywhere between four to five languages So, I mean, this guy goes toe-to-toe with anybody all the time. The gift of knowledge. Now, sometimes you're going to struggle with being right rather than being relational. You understand the difference? So for you, being right is everything because 2 plus 2 equals 4, and there's nothing else. You think it's 6, and you're wrong, and we'll pray for you, right? But sometimes you're gonna bring that to bear on relationships when sometimes, listen, look up here, people with the gift of knowledge, you need to be quiet and listen. Just listen. Sometimes people don't need an answer, sometimes people just simply need to be heard. You're gonna struggle with learning from people that are different than you. Maybe, you know, look at things with a different angle than you. We see this in Paul's life as well. Paul was not afraid of a good confrontation and argument, man. But sometimes you're going to bring that to bear and you're going to discount people just because they don't dot all the I's and cross all the T's like you. And you need to be careful because pride is around the corner for you. You need to hang around sometimes with the people with the gift of mercy and people with the gift of service. You need to hang around those people because you would rather sometimes sit by and learn than get your hands dirty and just simply do. So sometimes you need to keep these people close by, the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge. The third one is the gift of faith. Now, this is not saving faith, right? Because if you're a Christian, everybody's gotten the gift of saving faith. First Timothy tells us that, or, or I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2 says that you were saved by grace through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. In the original language, faith and grace are the source of that gift. So this is not saving faith, and it's not sustaining faith. So we have to have faith that God not only saved us, but that he's going to keep us, Right? It's the nine o'clock, you can have more coffee, right? Okay, not that he just saves us, but that he's gonna sustain us. This is not that kind of faith. This is a faith that applies to situations. This is the ability to trust God for big things in a bold way, in a bold way. So if you see a need, you go, oh, well, God's gonna handle that, right? And people, are, like, people with the gift of knowledge are going, well, the graph doesn't show that we're going to trend this way. And you're like, that's fine. I don't really care about the graph. God's going to do it. And you're like, "Uh, we got knowledge over here. Okay, right? So people with the gift of knowledge and people with the gift of faith, they're going to rub elbows side by side because one loves graphs and other doesn't care about graphs. Okay. But here's what's cool about this. You bring a level of certainty and convictions that's needed in the church. So when there's fear sometimes and God's leading people, so, um, Easter at the Coliseum this this past Easter, that was a pretty big deal for us. Um, many of you don't know, uh, I, I I had the thought thought God was leading us that way, and I pulled out. I didn't pursue it. Um, Tyler came along beside me and said, "It's God's going to do it. It's going to happen. This is going to roll, man. It just we just need to we're going to step out and we're going to do this." So you need to know, like. This is important that all of us are complimenting and serving each other to do all of those things. People with the gift of faith, listen, you, you just believe the word of God when it says nothing's impossible for him. Nothing's impossible for him, right? And so you just, you can't explain it. It's a settled conviction, right? But sometimes there's, there's a back end and you're going to struggle with constantly deflecting this ability from you and to Jesus, Here's what I mean by that. People are just going to simply view you, quote, as confident. And sometimes in our pride, we're going to believe, yeah, man, I'm a pretty confident person. I believe that I can do that. If you have this gift, you're constantly going to have to go, "Um, hey, actually, I, I do have some fear. I do have a little bit of doubt in this, but I just believe Jesus is going to do this. It's not so much me as it is Jesus. And here's what you need to understand. Information is not your enemy. Listen, faith doesn't mean ignorance. You understand that, right? Faith is a settled, a settled conviction with information at your hand. So I had a conversation um, a little while back with someone, and I was asking some questions about a ministry and this and some legal aspects and that, and the response was, well, the Lord's just going to take care of it. Yeah, well, you know, bro, taxes are real. And if you don't pay them, the Lord can take care of you in jail, buddy. I mean, like, so listen, information is not your enemy, okay? So when you have information, community, and all of that, you have the settled conviction that if God said he was going to do it, that we're going to step out because God's going to do it. And when that happens, you bring strength to other people. So people with the gift of wisdom and the gift of knowledge, though there might be some conflict there, you all need to be together in this. Because the knowledge brings the information that you need. But with the gift of faith, you bring a level of conviction in the uncertainty that other people don't have. The gift of faith. The next one is this. The gift of healing. Ah, yeah. So here's, here's the gift of healing, right? You have the ability to heal emotional, relational, spiritual, and physical problems. Here's a way that I've always illustrated this. This is not Benny Hinn. This is not laying on of the rags, and if you call today, we'll send you five healing rags, and then if you call right now, we'll throw in another one to we'll cover the shipping and handling and all of that. This is not an on-tap, boom, I can make this happen at any moment. I've always used the illustration of sort of like jumper cables, right? So when you have a dead battery and then a live battery and then the jumper cables are the conduit, that's what you are. God's just given you the ability most of the time in a time and in a place for something like that to happen. But listen, it's not just physical. Did you know that the the root word of the word healing means reconciliation? Ah, now we're on to it. Remember what I said, prescriptive and descriptive? You primarily function in your supernatural ability to reconcile two opposed parties to each other, to heal emotional pain and bring this together. We see this very clearly in the life of Christ. Did you know that all of the supernatural healings that Jesus did pointed to something? Like, um, Lazarus, that was cool. Like, hey, Lazarus, you're dead. Wake up. Woo! I mean, that's a big deal, right? But guess what? Lazarus still died. What's the story of Lazarus really about? It's about salvation, bro. And whom Jesus called, he saves. And when Jesus calls your name and says, come forth out of sin, death, and decay, then you're going to walk out of that. So it's pointing to something else. You intercede for the broken, lost, and the marginalized. Right? So when it comes to social justice, people who, who don't, like you and missionaries are very close, right? The gift of evangelism and the gift of healing oftentimes go together because you're, you literally almost feel it yourself. That's why it says your passion isn't so much the healing itself as it is revealing what God has done. Listen, you make great counselors. Did you know that the root word and etymology of counselor comes from healing? What is counseling, biblical counseling? It's when someone comes in with an open wound in their heart and in their life, and they've said, I've been hurt this way. And then through biblical principles and the supernatural ability through the spirit, you can ask questions and show them the beauty of the gospel. Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. That is just as important as physical healing as well. And there are mysteries to these things. But listen, here's one thing I'm not going to pray. If somebody is sick, I'm going to pray for God to heal them. I'm not going to pray this, Lord, if it's your will. Listen, I know what God's will is, man. It's that he hates brokenness and that he hates suffering and that he hates those things and that through the person of Christ that he's reconciling the entire universe back to himself. So I'm going to have the people with the gift of faith and all of this around me that when my heart starts doubting in those moments, these people speak life into that and we're boldly going to step out and we're going to do these things. And here's what you've got to understand. At the end of the day, every Christian receives healing. Every single one, man. Because when I read in Revelation that there's going to be a day when there's no more tears, there's no more cancer, and there's no more wheelchairs, there's no more medicine, there's no more none of that, there's no more depression, there's no more anxiety, there's no more any of that. This is happening and it will come as well. This is true for us. Now there's a backside of this if you function in this, and it's this. You're going to struggle with chasing only the supernatural. That's, we see this in Paul's teaching to the church in Corinth. He says, listen, you guys need to slow down and understand some things that it's not just chasing this apex emotional moment all the time. Also, you'll sometimes feel emotionally and spiritually drained. And struggle with depression and here's why. Do you remember the woman as Jesus is going to heal someone in the crowd and she touched the hem of his garment and was healed? What did Jesus say? Why would he stop? He says this, something has gone out of me. Spurgeon would get no more depressed after his sermons and his revivals because he says we are conduits and we are broken vessel vessels and when God uses us there is a part of us that goes out of us in those moments. So you need to keep people with the gift of encouragement around you all the time. Always remember this, you're the vessel. You're not the source. You don't have a cape blowing in the wind that we are all broken people, the gift of healing. Also, gifts that power up, miracles. This is cool. You have the ability to see God do big things through you and around you. You don't know why, it just seems to happen, right? right? There's nothing pertainingly awesome about you. It's not like you're miraculous, and so it's that God is miraculous, and for whatever reason, these things happen. Each time this happens, it strengthens your faith, and you, you use that moment to strengthen people's faith around you. Now, listen, miracles can be all types of things. What's the greatest miracle again? Salvation, right? The new birth. That's miraculous. You see that a lot. But also, like, um, West Side's a miracle. I mean, anything that's thriving, anything that intercedes and supersedes nature in those moments is miraculous. And for you, there's just a settled conviction in your heart that God has done this, God is doing this, and God will do this. But here's something that you need to be cautioned of. Don't ever forget that there's miracles in the mundane. That when the sun rises or when the sun sets this evening, that's a miracle. That we understand that God is involved in the universe and this isn't just a spinning top that's set in motion and then God steps back, but rather he's involved in everything. And so what you need to understand is is that there's miracles at your workplace, that there's miracles in your family. That it's not just big events, sort of speak, but that it's in the everyday. You also need to be careful not to feel pressure. That stuff depends on you. This is sort of a, a backside of every spiritual gift, to be honest with you. One of the things that we said is this. Your spiritual gift is not your identity. You're not healer. And you're not, that's not who you are. Who you are is a child of God through the person of Jesus Christ. You're loved, forgiven, adopted, chosen, redeemed. That is your identity. But our gifts clarify our areas of ministry. So having people with the gifts of service and all of those areas around you, one of the things that you will struggle with is not being involved and expecting something to happen. Very rarely does something ever like that happen, but rather God does something in us so he can do something through us, that we are the vessels in this, the gift of miracles. Another one that comes from the gift that power up the church, discernment. The gift of discernment, right? You have the great ability to st- distinguish truth from error, man. I mean, you're reading something, you're hearing somebody preach, and you're just like, <laughs> that don't smell right, bro." Nah, man, you're cooking something else in the kitchen, man. That's not, that's not true. You're sensitive to demonic activity and heresy, right? We're just getting into it today. Super weird stuff. Woo, right? Okay. Um. I, I have functioned in this a few times, and I struggle with talking about this stuff because oftentimes what we, what we say up here, like what you do in minority becomes an excess and all of this. But there are times um, that when I'm speaking and preaching, I look out and I see things, that I say things. And then people come up and say, where's the microphone in my house that you've been listening to? And I say, I don't know, I just see that. It's like a movie clip to me. I was in a counseling session and there was something that we were not getting to and there was something not there and I asked if there had been abuse, primarily sexual abuse, and then it was revealed. That has nothing to do with anything of me or anything like that. That has everything to do with the Spirit of God in a moment when there is a need and there is a hurt and there is a struggle and you're discerning something like that. It's to navigate truth and error, and you tend to be very protective and have an aggressive personality because when you find the truth, you want to pursue that and you want to get at that. So you are very important when it comes to the study of Scripture, whether it's curriculum, whether it's any of those things. The gift of discernment is massively important to the church. And one of the things that Paul says all the time is be aware of wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus talks about this. So what we understand is the greatest opposition to the church is not from the outside, not at all. If, if the church gets attacked from the outside, it actually unifies the church, right? An outside attack makes you band together. What's detrimental to the church is something of a split inside, an attack on the inside, and people with the gift of discernment know if this continues to play out this way, we will drift into error. And it's just there, you don't know. The backside of this is sometimes you're gonna struggle with becoming harsh and calloused, right? So sometimes you're gonna value truth over the person. And so if they come to you and there's something going on and you're just like, well, that's dumb and you're dumb, right? You know, and you're like, oh, I just crushed somebody. You need to give the people of encouragement around you, right? Mercy is a big deal. You need to keep those people around you. So you need to be careful with those things. Keep people with the gift of mercy and all of those. Do you see what's happening now? It's like Legos putting these things together. We need people with the gift of discernment going, nah, man, that ain't right. And then we have people with the gift of mercy going, yeah, it's not right, but they're still a person. And so we need to pursue them, and we need to love them, and we need to care for them. And the guy with faith is like, we can do it, right? And the guy with knowledge is like, where's the graph? What's the plan? How are we going? What's you know, and then it's all happening in this beautiful thing of the church like a body is functioning properly, the gift of discernment. This next one is very controversial as well, which is the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is not the Old Testament prophet, okay? This is not about revelation as much as it is illumination. Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen, if you come up to me and say, oh man, I think that I've been revealed something new and something's missing from the book of Revelation, I'm going to go, yeah, you're David Koresh. That's a problem, okay, right? Right? Hey, listen, Scripture's closed. The canon has been closed. We understand this from church history. God's Word has been passed down to us. It is sufficient. Nothing supersedes it, and nothing will be added to it. That's not what this is. I love what Matthew Henry says. He says that the gift of prophecy is not about foretelling the future as it is being able to foretell the truth. That in moments where the truth is difficult to find and we don't know what the right answer is, In moments like that, that's when the gift, the prophetic word comes. You have the ability to say hard things that are received well, right? So there's there's a number of preachers like Leonard Ravenhill and guys that that I listened to back in the day. Spurgeon was one of those guys. And these guys just had the ability to stand up and go, "Um, the title of my sermon today is You're Wrong and You're Idiots. Point number one, you're an idiot. But people with that gift, you know what happens? People go, oh my God, I'm an idiot. (laughs) Nobody ever told me I was an idiot before, man. I need to be saved, right? Right? That is like, we see this all the time. And I've had somebody, another preacher explain that to me that helped me understand that, right? That's, That's a supernatural ability. Listen, those of you with the gift of mercy, that's not gonna fly for you, okay? You're gonna go, well, I've been praying about it. I think you're an idiot. and uh... You understand what I'm saying. Hard truths that are received well. You see, listen, you see things that other people don't see. I had a pastor um, about a month ago take me out to lunch. and just spoke into my life. He was an older guy. He just built me up, and he's been in the ministry for 40 years and all types of stuff. And he said, you got to know the guy. He said, you want to get weird? Let's get weird. We're going to get weird right here. And then he just said, he said, "Um, you see things, and you don't say it because you're afraid of what people think when you say it. Man, he was on the money. Because the backside of this is, is that you're afraid of what people think. And some of you, man, you've been wrestling with a word from God for somebody. And look up here right now at me. If you withhold that, you're withholding what God's wanting to do in your life. This is what this doesn't mean. You don't go to someone and say, God told me this, and then just walk away and leave them drowning in a sea of doubt. We humbly go and say, "Man, I've been praying, I've been reading my Bible. And when it comes to stepping out in faith, and Jesus meeting us in the middle. This passage of scripture, every time I read it, your name keeps coming up. And I don't know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but let's pray about this together and figure this out. But I feel like that this is for you in this season of life. And, and listen to me watch God work, have the word of God, have, and listen. There is no other gift in the scripture that the Apostle Paul talks about testing and being under the authority of the leadership of a local church than the gift of prophecy. Because that's how cults are started. So we run these things by the leadership of a church in our community group. We test it with scripture, right? The spiritual gifts are empowered by the word of God, but they are anch- or they're empowered by the spirit of God, but they're anchored in the word of God. You have to stay under biblical authority and stay in biblical community. And I love what the apostle Paul, he just sums it up and leaves the tension at the end of 1 Thessalonians. He says this, do not despise prophecies, So what does that tell me? I shouldn't despise it, right? I should do something about it. But then he says this, but then test everything. So there's the tension. Don't despise it. Don't knock it off as nothing as the pizza that I ate last night or anything like that, right? His bad Taco Bell. I don't really know what's going on with that, okay? But rather test it. Don't despise it, but test it. The gift of prophecy. And then the last thing that we see is this, the gift of tongues and interpretation, this is where the tension of prescriptive and descriptive comes in. So through my understanding, I believe that the spiritual gifts are still continuing. I don't believe that they have ceased And this is the last one, and this should really make the sermon short. We're on tongues now. Great, right? Um, So I see three in in the New Testament. I see a language that someone understands, right, and that the gospel is preached. That is Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. The Passover is taking place. It's the first Christian sermon. Jesus predicted that this would happen. And so Peter stands up, filled with the Holy Spirit. There's people from different areas and different languages, and the apostles begin to speak. They understand the gospel. 2,000 people get saved get baptized it's incredible one guy who didn't know um uh, ethiopia africa language he's preaching the gospel in that that's awesome that's incredible we see that all the time um there's a little bit of tension with this nowadays because i believe that the spirit of god like could say hey there's a thing called rosetta stone i don't think you need to pray and fast before you go to africa and preach the gospel but learn the language right So there's a little bit of tension there with that, all right? We don't throw our brains out the window on that stuff. But do I believe if you're sitting on a bus or if you're somewhere and there's somebody there, listen, here's what I believe. God wants somebody saved, they're just going to be saved, man. And, and, and if he's going to use you to close the deal, awesome. That's fantastic, okay? The second aspect of that, the word tongues actually just means languages is what it means. The Apostle Paul talks about an angelic prayer language that is for not corporately and not for other people, but for the sole believer themselves and for that edification. And so we see that intercessory prayer and all of, all of those things are massively important. There are people who attend Westside who have this. I've prayed with people who have this. I've asked for this gift. God's told me, you've got other stuff going on. You're not going to get that gift, okay, right? Now, here's the tension. The third thing is when it comes to the interpretation and the corporate gathering. The Apostle Paul devotes an entire chapter to this. And he tells the Corinthians, you guys are like Christians gone wild, bro here's how you do this. And he says that almost this should not happen corporately, but if it does, there should be an interpretation and all of these type of things. Here's what I've come to find out. There are many denominations and things like that who mark themselves based on this, and I am against that. It is not our identity. I had a man one time, I was doing a wedding in here, and he was walking around, and he said, so, uh, do you preach the full gospel? I was like, yeah, man, life, death, and resurrection, bro. We love Jesus. He goes, no, no, I'm talking about full gospel, man. I I said, I'm sorry, sir, I'm not following. He said, tongues. You believe in tongues? I was like, yeah. I I mean, what? Like, that's not a defining asp. Tongues is not the gospel. I mean, goodness gracious, man, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is. Now, here's where the tension is. Did Jesus speak in tongues? Tension, tension, tension. You don't know how to answer it, do you? We don't know. That's the answer. If you tell me he did, you're wrong. We don't know. Question, was Jesus filled with the Spirit? Amen. So here's the principle that I draw. Do I have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Spirit? No. I believe that this is a gift. I don't believe everybody has this gift. I believe some people do have this gift. I've seen it used properly, and I've seen it used poorly. But at the end of the day, if we believe that God is still continuing to do things, and he's continuing to do things, Here's the backside of this, is that always, Paul says this, this is chapter and verse from 1 Corinthians 14, the flesh aspect of this is you will look down on other people who don't have it. That's right from the scriptures. The apostle Paul says, I wish that all of this, but this is not the main thing, and check yourself with this. You need to keep your Bible close with you on any of these things. Because why? Because the spiritual gifts are empowered by the Spirit of God but they are anchored in the word of God. And when it comes to the miraculous and gifts that power up the church, and I'll close with this, I think what we think that it is, is I think that we think it's like a superstar, almost like a LeBron James or Michael Jordan or a Nolan Ryan. It's the guy, I mean, it is this closing pitcher. It's the last second shooter. It's, man, God really loves them. I mean, the people with these gifts, God really loves them. And that's, that's not what the scriptures teach. There was a study done. I'm reading a book called The Culture Code, and it's a fascinating book. I'd recommend it if you're a boss or or in any leadership position. They did a survey of a number of NBA teams who won a bunch of games that they, quite frankly, shouldn't have won. And they wanted to know what was the team and what was the deciding factor that made these average players above average. There was one team that was literally in a category all of their own, the San Antonio Spurs. And the reason why was because of one man, Greg Popovich. Pop. Pop has a unique coaching style. And one of the things that he makes his teammates do when he coaches them, that if they have a fast break or if they have an opportunity to take a shot, that they're supposed to look around and see if another team member's open. And if another team member's open, He makes them pass the ball. That's why it's so difficult to guard because everybody thinks we need three guys on LeBron James because he's going to take the last shot. Greg Popovich says, nope, if somebody else on your team has the open shot, you pass the ball. The gifts that power up the church is not so much about you being a superstar and taking the final second shot as much as it is about you passing the ball and serving somebody else because the goal of spiritual gifts is to serve one another for God's glory and for our good so I pray that as we continue through this series that you guys would seek these things, ask these things we'd keep our Bibles close that we would be under authority but we would be stepping out in faith asking God to do great things in our midst. Heavenly Father we come before you and we're thankful for your word we're thankful for the challenge, for the comfort, and for the conviction. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would breathe life into people. There are people in this room right now who've been struggling with stepping out and loving somebody and praying with somebody. God, I just pray that as we come to the table and partake in the body broken and the blood shed, people would speak life into each other. Somebody grab somebody's hand and say, man, let's go pray together. I've been wanting to do this for weeks and I know about this situation going on in your life and listen, here's my sin. I've been afraid what you would think of me and I'm so sorry. But let's go and let's pray and let's pursue. God, your word tells us to seek these things and to stay grounded at the same time. I pray that West Side would not get tossed to and fro, but that we would be anchored right in the tension. Holy Spirit have your way with us. We pray this all in the precious and in the holy and in the perfect name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand where you're at and come forward and partake in the elements as you feel led today.